I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Saturday, September 11th, 2021, and this is episode 137 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. Today's episode is sponsored by One Last Kiss by Kat Martin. The prequel novella to the New York Times bestselling author's new hardcover romantic suspense series. The series is for readers seeking thrilling stories with sexy undertones, nail-biting suspense, intense action sequences, and a twisty mystery. In One Last Kiss, Colorado rancher Sam Bridger is tasked with babysitting a rich city girl who knows more about high fashion than horses. Liberty Hale needs to make it through her ranch experience in order to gain her inheritance, but neither expected their attraction to burn quite so hot. A three-day pack trip in the mountains will test them both, especially when one of the ranch's guests takes a sinister interest in Libby. Suddenly, their unexpected chance at love is overshadowed by the terrifying possibility that their very lives are at risk. You can find One Last Kiss by Kat Martin wherever books are sold and at kensingtonbooks.com. So I'm recording mobily from um, just outside of Denver, Colorado, and we're on the second to last day of my trip. And it's been very, very good. It's been a lot of fun. Um, I came out here basically to rock climb. My husband came out here uh, with his father and brother. It's my father-in-law's birthday and sort of a belated birthday celebration for my husband because we had wanted to come out here last year. And uh, yeah, so the boys are off driving supercars in the mountains, um, like a McLaren and a Lamborghini. And I don't know, there's a place where you can do that here. And he's, we've actually done that before, uh, several years ago when we were in Denver. So he, this time he brought his family and I did this week's best thing, which was I climbed the first flat iron in Boulder. So the flat irons are these rock formations that are really well known in Boulder. They're kind of iconic for the area. And I figured since I was going to come all the way out here, basically just to climb, uh, I should do something that would challenge me. So, uh, I had come out here a few years ago in 2018 and did my first multi-pitch climb, which was 200 feet, uh, highest I'd ever climbed at the time. And so I was like, yeah, let's just do something a little bit bigger. So I went on the website of the, the company that I use, which is Denver Mountain Guiding. And right there, it was like, oh, Flatiron Summit. And I had just seen on Instagram um, some climbers I follow who had just done the Flatiron Summit. So I was like, oh, that sounds like something I can do. It's 1,000 feet. It's slab climbing, so it's not straight up. It's like, tilted. Um, I don't think it's 45 degrees. I don't know what the angle is, but it doesn't, it actually didn't feel as high as the 200 feet I did a few years ago, because that was straight up. And that was straight up with cars whizzing by beneath me. So that was actually in terms of like fear of heights, a lot scarier. This was challenging in a whole different way. So, um, it was very hot, although out here it's a dry heat. So I barely felt the heat. Like the other people, because we passed some other climbers and, and chatted with them and they were, the, the, the guy, the other guy was just talking about the heat and my guide also. And I was like, oh, what's the minute? I feel the sun. I feel the heat. But without the humidity, I was fine. It's a very long uh, hike to the actual climbing part. So we met up at, um, we started, started the hike around 730 in the morning. And uh, by the time we got to the climb and we're all roped in, it was about nine. And that was actually after, um, a little bit of like instruction because this is not the type of climbing I normally do. And 
I was back at the parking lot at 2.30. So, so it was a long day. Um, you had to hike all the way there, climb, rappel down, then um, hike back down and walk back. So it was exhilarating. Uh, the, the difficulty of the climb wasn't bad. It was the beginners, like the route that we took. There's different routes you can take on the, the first flat iron. We took a beginner's route, um, but I had flown in the day before and Denver's already, what, 5,000 feet above sea level. You go to the flat irons and you're just, I was just like gasping for breath. Like basically the whole day you're doing all this physical activity with 80%, 70% of the air, of the oxygen that you're used to having. So the real challenge was dealing with the heights because even though I love climbing, I don't love heights at all. And uh, just kind of struggling to breathe because you're so high, you're doing it in sections called pitches. And so there's plenty of time to rest while, you know, I had a guide who would climb ahead of me and then I would climb up behind her and, you know, be taking the equipment up with me and all of that. But so I had time to rest while I'm waiting for her to climb and, you know, set up all of the protection and the anchors and then I would climb up. But yeah, even now I've been here for three or four days and I'm still struggling to take really deep breaths because yeah, the altitude gets you. But it was an amazing experience. It was an amazing adventure. I really challenged myself. I, I had been kind of afraid to even book it because I was like, can I do this? It's a thousand feet. It's like, I knew it was going to be an eight hour day basically. Um, but it was something I really wanted to try and to see if I could do it and kind of prove it to myself. And so much of climbing is mental anyway. Like there's the physical challenge of the technique and just the strength to do it. But a lot of it is when you're, when you're up there and you're not sure where you're going to go next, like you're looking for the next handhold, the next foothold, testing your body and, and just challenging yourself. And so it's so much mental work that, you know, I, I got down and I'm, of course I'm still sore, like everything hurts, but I was telling my husband that like, I don't want to like overstep or be over overconfident, but I, I literally feel like I can do anything right now. Like in this pocket of time when I'm still, I'm still kind of, I don't know if it's the adrenaline, I don't think it's, is a factor anymore, but I still have that sort of exhilaration of having done this, this thing that I wasn't entirely sure I could do and that I'm really proud of myself for doing. And yeah, I'm like, ah, I can literally do anything, <laughs> but like, I don't want that, that attitude to get me in trouble, but it is great to kind of build the confidence in yourself and build, um, the sort of inner resilience, inner strength. And I had an amazing time. It was really difficult. And then you sit on the top and you're like, look what I did. Of course. Okay. After, you know, it's like four or five hours of climbing, sitting on the top. She, uh, the guide is getting the, the ropes ready and hooking, hooking into, uh, the bolt that's up there so that we can rappel down. And this guy just climbs up. He's free soloing it because a lot of people do free solo this. Like I climb with ropes, but, um, because the, the difficulty isn't that great. And because it's slab, you know, um, like at no point did I actually fall and, and need the rope. My loop, my knot was very loose at the end of the day when I went to untie it. And if you fall and the rope catches you, the rope, the knot tightens. That's kind of the point. So I was like, oh, you know, so it is perfectly possible to free solo it. But he just walked by. He's like, hey, how you doing? You know, and he like walked around me and then climbed down. <laughs> but yeah, that was my, this week's best thing. I came, I, I did what I came here to do and um, yeah, now I'm thinking about what's next. 
Like, I don't ever see myself as one of those people who climbs like a multi-day thing where you have to sleep literally hanging on the side of a mountain and you have to like poop in a bag and keep it with you. I'm, I'm not interested in any of that, honestly. Uh, but I do like challenging myself and I do like seeing what I can do. I have to work on my recovery because I feel like I'll be sore for the rest of my life. Also, I am recording on September 11th and yeah, it's, it is a difficult day. I saw someone on um, Facebook talk about the heavy mental burden. I think it was Kiana. Uh, talk about the health, the heavy mental burden that this day has. And it definitely does. Um, we have been watching this documentary on Netflix called Turning Point, 9-11 and the War on Terror. I think it's about five parts, about an hour each, but it's excellent. It's really good. We started it last week and it is right up to the minute. I mean, they must have been editing this thing like two weeks ago because they talk about the current situation in Afghanistan, um, which as I'm recording this, you know, U.S. has pulled out and things were kind of a mess there. But as this documentary points out, it was always going to be a mess. There was no, there was no way this was going to end well. Um, and yeah, so it goes through in detail. Like I was crying, you know, it's talking to September 11th survivors. They actually talk to Taliban people. Like they get all sides of this, which is one of the reasons why it's so good. Um, and yeah, just kind of processing emotions for for today, the 20th anniversary. Um, so yeah, it's been kind of walk through where you were. Like if you're, I guess, over 25 or so, you're going to remember exactly where you were or how you found out um, what you were thinking about, what those next days were like. Uh, my father worked in DC at the Commerce Department and there was a point in time where there was they thought there were threats against Commerce Department. And so phones weren't working like you know i'm not gonna belabor it but uh it's i think it's it's time a good time for reflection and for processing and um i'm really glad that i was able to do sort of this mental work which is, has nothing to do with the processing of this burden you know this sort of grief that we have as a nation uh about the terrorist attacks and however you were affected even if you didn't lose someone you were affected. And of course, if you lost someone or if you were there, you know, um, it has as a greater burden. I definitely acknowledge that. But those, I, like I was living in Oakland in California. And uh, so having grown up near DC and having like my father working in the city, um, everyone has their own relationship. And yeah, processing that grief is, is something that we have to really be aware of. And I think that just developing mental strength, no matter how you develop it, no matter what, you know, what ways you get to it is useful and I think necessary for, for all of the, all of the mental burdens that, that we carry. Cause there's, there's many of them. In writing news, I did finish my revision before I came. So it was Tuesday of this past week. I, I finished, which was ahead of my goal. So I wouldn't have to worry about writing while I was on the trip. And that was, that was wonderful. I've had several days off. Um, I haven't thought about the manuscript. I have had to start thinking about another manuscript, Savage City, the paranormal romance story that I want to self-publish early next year because I have to do the cover brief, which was technically due yesterday. And I sat down to do it. And I realized how much information is needed on this form that I did not know. 
things um, so my cover designer who I have used did the original self-published Song of Blood and Stone and Whispers of Shadow and Flame covers and there was a, a self-published Cry of Metal and Bone cover because I had gotten that done before I made the deal with St. Martin so I love my cover designer um, and anyway this form is long and detailed and I had to be like okay I'm going to be at least a day late on this because I have to clean up my synopsis. I had a synopsis, but it was wrong because I had changed so much when I was drafting this book. And I haven't touched this manuscript in months, so like two months or something. And I don't even remember what happened in it. Like I've put it completely out of my mind and I've gotten feedback from people. Um, I'm still waiting on the edits from my editor, but... I had to refresh myself on like, well, what are the changes? I know the synopsis is wrong. I know that when I got to writing those parts, I had to do something different. And then I had to think about like the trim size of the paperback, which I hadn't thought of. And at one point when I was only self-publishing, I wanted like all my books to be the same size so that if someone bought them all, they would all just be, you know, in a line on a shelf. This is my thinking. And then of course I got a traditional publishing contract and that went out the window because they were doing their own sizes. And um, so now it was like, well, do I want all of my self-published books to be the same size now? <sighs> I do, I'm just not, I'm going to do a different size. Everything's going to be a different size. I'm sorry for anyone who's collecting all the books. <laughs> I would like them to be the same size on my shelf as well, but I was doing six by nine just to get in the weeds a little bit as the trim size of the paperback when I was self-published because it's the largest size you can do, and it's a little bit cheaper. You know, you can fit more, more than a page, you get fewer pages. And so when I buy the books, it's cheaper for me, it's cheaper for everybody. I think the, the St. Martin's paperbacks are, they're another size. And then who knows what the new book will be what from Orbit. And so I realized that oh, the best laid plans, you know, the great thing about self-publishing is the control. And when you're hybrid, you, you lose a lot of that control. So we're just going to go with another standard size and keep it moving. And then I had been collecting. Uh, I created a Pinterest board for this new book of covers I like, but I still have to think about the elements. And I just, I was like, oh, I can whip this form out in like a half an hour. And then like, I realized I could not. So that is the next task for today. It should only be a day late. Um... And I'm really excited about getting back into that story, doing the revision, and publishing. So more, more to come soon. A couple of things. I did a wonderful interview with Jerry at Onyx Pages that I will link to. It's on YouTube. She has a whole series of um, Black science fiction and fantasy authors that I highly recommend you check out. It was a great interview. She really has some really insightful questions. Um, and is doing a lot of great work in community building in this space. So I'm really grateful to her for that. And uh, yeah, it's a good interview. Also, I was on the Dear Romance Writer podcast, which uh, I remember when Rowan Parrish, who was one of the hosts, had originally started promoting the idea. And I was like, I am so into this. I want to be on this. And so, yes, I'm finally on it. It is a podcast with... Um, three romance writers and, and a guest where they answer questions like Dear Abby style, which is super fun. And then, uh, yeah, so we had a, a question about uh, having COVID in your soul and just I'll link to it. Uh, you can check out Dear Romance Writer podcast wherever you listen to this podcast, probably. 
And that, it was a great time. Also, we saw the new Shang-Chi movie, the Marvel movie, uh, Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. Is that the name of it? It was really good. I really enjoyed that. We actually saw it like two weeks ago, whenever it first came out. It was like a Thursday showing, but I forgot to talk about it last week. Um, had a lot of heart. It had a lot of great action. So I liked Black Widow, but Black Widow left me feeling fatigued from the action. With Shang-Chi, I thought it was the right amount. And I don't know, maybe it was just a personal, you know, calibration thing for me. I just, it, it hit for me. The only thing about that movie is there wasn't enough character development. Like, I didn't know who Shang-Chi was. Like, I didn't know anything about him. You know, you you see like the things, and he's a hero, and he's got all these good qualities. But as a person, you know, you just didn't really know too much about him. And then his sister kind of got short shrift, which she was one of the most interesting characters. But overall, great film. If you haven't seen it yet, totally recommend. And so, yes, we leave Denver tomorrow kind of a latish flight, not a, not a red eye, but uh, getting in late uh, Sunday night. So <sighs> gotta get all the all the animals back from their various boarding places and get back into the swing of things next week. I will be at Fiacon next weekend if you're listening to this in real time. Check my events page if you're interested in watching that. I don't know what this ticket status is. I think it's probably sold out, but um, yeah on a panel about marginalized people in the jazz age. So talking about the new book and the 20s, and which is now my favorite thing to talk about because I've been just ensconced in that time period, right, working on The Monsters We Defy, the new book, that I will be reading through next week. So my goals are to start the final read-through for Monsters and just do any touch-ups, uh, hopefully. I mean, I don't think there's anything major to be done. I did have an idea or two about a new scene that I don't know if it's worth it to add at this stage. So the read-through will hopefully help me to figure that out. So what I'm going to do is export it, get it onto my Kindle, read it like a real book, and make notes. Um, I do highlight things on my Kindle because I have found this, this site that allows you to export from your Kindle on your you know, so you can export notes from books that you buy from Amazon. But since this is a book I'm going to be transferring myself, it can be difficult to get those highlights and notes off. But there is a way. There's a website. I think it turned into a paid site. It used to be free. Totally worth it, though. And so, yeah, my goal is to read through this book, take hopefully two, three days. We're at about 95, 96,000 words, I think. And reading carefully and slowly still shouldn't take that long, depending on my other workload and turn it in. I probably by the time I talk to you next, I will have sent it to my editor. That is my goal for the week. And yeah, get back into Savage City. Um, as soon as I get the edits back, I will dive right into that. So that's where we are. Um, and I think that's it. So I hope that you have a wonderful week and I will talk to you next week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the Footnotes newsletter and get these show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcast.